Hello, and welcome to the Box in One podcast, a podcast discussing sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. My name is John Richards, and I'm your co-host today, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris Lassiter and Jeremy Hartman. Welcome to the Box in One podcast. This is episode nine of the Box in One podcast, where we will discuss Christ, sports, and culture through the lens of the gospel, but this is a special edition of the podcast the cleveland edition believe land edition of the podcast where we'll be discussing the nba finals lebron james Kyrie irving and one special person um who we will name later um so let's hop right in and talk about these nba finals which concluded last night with an amazing game by the way where the cleveland Cavaliers defeated the Golden State Warriors, the NBA champion Golden State Warriors in game seven in their house with a LeBron James triple-double that essentially solidified his place as one of the best ever. But we do want to talk about LeBron's legacy after this. He's He's been to seven. Is it seven straight NBA finals? Yep. Six. He's three six straight, but seven overall. He's three and four. Three and four. You remember that one year in San Antonio, he went early because they got swept. That was that was the hate oh, of the Spurs. I remember. Yes, <laughs> I remember when he ran into the juggernaut. There was young LeBron then. He had no help at all. Um, and but he had last, more hair. last night he had plenty of help. So we want to know. Like I've been hearing some people talk about. Whether or not LeBron is like top two now, like it's Jordan, then LeBron in terms of the echelon of NBA up there-ness, the air up there. What do you guys think? You know, it's hard to argue with what he's done because that last night was, it's never been done before. Um, 0-32, teams going, they were down 3-1 that you know, finally make it back, claw the way back. They still lose like their own 32. And he went into Oracle, put up a triple double. Um, he better thank Kyrie profusely. Um, Cause I think LeBron was shot at the end of that game, but top two, I mean, it's I know it's hard to argue with. It's going to be hard to argue. You know, I still can't put him above Mike, but I did see a tweet today where um, Jay Williams said that he'd watched Mike all his life and played against Mike. And he said LeBron was better. So I'm just blasphemy. My question is, if you move him into the top two, who did you bump out? Are we all in unanimous agreement that Mike is one? Yes. 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 We are in unanimous agreement. So who did we move out for two to put LeBron there? So I think the thing is, do we all agree? Like, we're talking about people who didn't play center, right? Like, because they're just so hard to quantify the back to the basket players. <coughs> like, couldn't you just always make like Bill Russell, the Sunday school answer, the Sunday school answer. You like, see what I'm saying? Like, like he's Jesus? got so many, the answer is always Jesus. You know, like the answer is always Bill Russell. He won the most rings, you know? Hmm. Um, but I mean, I don't mind where people put LeBron as long as they don't put him. I had a mic. I think the thing 
that really I just hope he's on there that was like exactly how I felt. It's just really time. Like, what has he done that we don't want him to do? Like, he's been a great ambassador for the game. He's helping kids. He's putting kids in like um, in education in Akron. He's investing his own money towards that. Like, he's got a good sense of humor. He's just been great for the sport. Like, can we just stop with the LeBron hate? He's great for basketball. He takes a stand for social causes. He's friendly. He's being in Space Jam, too. Like, it's time to stop the LeBron hate. That was just my thought from the game. I was so happy for him. I love the commercial um, for Cleveland that Nike released. I thought that was amazing. Um, and I just hope everybody can celebrate him and just say, like, we're proud. Even if I, I was going for Golden State last night, but I was super proud to see LeBron win it. I think he's a great player, and I'm glad that he finally brought Cleveland that chip. So let me let me just talk about the legacy play last night because there was one play for me that solidified his legacy for me. I know what you're going to say. Oh, my goodness, because I'm a defensive guy, okay? But this right here was ridiculous. Andre Iguodala on a fast break, like he's probably about 10 to 15 feet ahead of LeBron about to lay the ball up, and somehow LeBron has a chase down block that just pretty much solidified his place as the second best player um, of all time. And he'll he'll go on to do many more things, but last night I was like, did he just make up all that ground? Tie ball game, fourth quarter, huge play. Huge. I know Kyrie hit the game winner, but that play won the game for them. I think. Hey, that, John, are we allowed to talk about Ray Allen's shot on this podcast or not? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> what shot? <laughs> oh, are we going to do that, huh? No, you can talk about it. Let's talk about right, so here's it. My Go question. ahead. So if Ray Allen misses that shot and Kyrie misses that jumper, LeBron's not number two. But since LeBron, like since Kyrie hit a shot and um, Ray Allen hit a shot. Now he is number two. Is that what, is that what I'm hearing? So first things first, the game was still tied when Kyrie hit that shot. So had he missed it when they have still lost? Uh, I don't know. We don't know that. Now Ray Allen's shot. I think they beat one of the best teams of all time um, when he hit that shot, and it was it hurt. It certainly did hurt. Um, but wasn't that a game six? Yes. There was still another yes. game to be played. Who won MVP? LeBron. Oh. LeBron James. Oh. LeBron James. Exactly. Exactly. So that doesn't really take anything away from it. So for me, I just think that, you know, over Bill Russell, over Kareem, over anybody else that you can put up there, I know he has only has three rings, only, quote unquote, but the body of work over his career so far. And what he did yesterday in terms of coming back 3-1 and then walking off the tarmac with an Ultimate Warrior t-shirt and the Kermit yes, the Frog that flipping tee. That's, that man, that's the funny. ultimate shade. Like, for real, like, dude, I'm the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> that was great. That was funny. I was like, all right, LeBron. So, so I would say yes. Yes, probably just jet jetted himself, jettisoned himself up to 
um, right below talking about Jordan range right there, man. So, so he replaced Magic? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, I mean, Magic, here's the thing about Magic, okay? Had he continued his career, we'd be having this Magic Michael conversation. But, you know, it got uh, derailed. No, we wouldn't. Huh? What? No, we wouldn't. What? And listen, I don't even like the Lakers, but you're talking about Magic Johnson, dude. Magic so Johnson. Up. In back-to-back years, that, that torch was passed. The 91 finals and the 92 Barcelona games in that scrimmage. It, it was Jordan's league after that. Magic was great. That was Jordan's league after that. So I'm saying it's like, are we saying that Magic was consensus number two? Am I saying that? No. I'm I'm talking about Bill Russell. I'm talking about Kareem, uh, and then possibly Magic. So give me your argument for uh, LeBron is better than Bill Russell. Bill yes. Russell played on some really great teams. LeBron, it's LeBron, and then the Rec League All Stars. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's no. Kyrie is great, but do you know that Dante Jones got playing? Mo Williams got playing time yesterday. Significant Look, playing time. Can I just say that I was sad? Like when I was trying to decide who to cheer for. Not wanting to see Dante Jones celebrate was a was such a high factor in that debate. I just didn't want to see that celebration. No way he should have gotten a ring. Unfortunate. Speaking of supporting cast, I mean, I've heard some some interesting commentary about Kyrie for MVP. I know LeBron won the MVP, but there have been some folks who said, "Hey, without Kyrie's forty-one." We might not be having this conversation or without Kyrie's, to your point, Chris, clutch shot in game seven. We wouldn't even be having the LeBron conversation as the second best player in the entire history of the league. So Kyrie for MVP um, sounds like people were not very happy about LeBron winning it outright. What about co-MVP? They still hate nah. him. Hartman, please tell these dudes. Nah. And I like Kyrie. Like he's a dookie. And he and he came out with the quote that said when he hit the shot, he just went to his mamba mentality. Oh, he he got a fan for life just for saying that, for giving a shout out to Kobe. But nah. MVP can't do it, bro. Wait, you telling me he went nine for twenty seven in the finals game? Cause that's <laughs> and Mamba. He hit the one that mattered. <laughs> Mamba Mamba shoots 28% and then scores 29, and we were happy about that. I think Kyrie was more efficient than that. He he got five rings, though. That's how. How many defensive highlights did Kyrie have in that series? Defensive? He got some good steals. He got some pretty good steals. And he was, hey, if you look at the tape, look at the film, he was actually (laughs) deeing your boy Steph Curry up, man. Yeah, yeah, but so was no. Kevin Love. So, no. Oh, that last play was garbage. No, and Tristan Thompson too. You're not gonna tell me. You're not gonna tell me that that Kyrie was the defensive factor of any substantial proportion in that game. We know t- we're not. 
YouTube, don't lie, okay? I'm going to send you some clips. Matter of fact, I'm going to put them in the show notes. Did you send me that one at half court where he stole the ball? I don't know, man. I saw him make a, cu- a couple of good plays on the ball. We're not I know I, this is just not enough for me to. Ca- I can't. I can't remember. So so many of them. I can't really count. But you know, I saw. <laughs> I saw defensive Kyrie out there. I can't. Now look, I'm just. I'm just trying to play advocate here. Okay. We all know that LeBron almost averaged a triple double. He was like one and a half rebounds away for the entire finals. But to their point, Kyrie scored forty one. A couple of games ago. Also had 41. And Kyrie's presence. And look what he did last night. Did you see that left-handed layup, the end one? That joint. He didn't even leave the ground. Yeah. That joint was luck. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dang. See, last, I, I would not think that you hate on a point guard, having the, having the background yourself. But it seems like there's a little bit of, like, dookie hate. Um, even if he played only, like, a half a game with Duke. Seems like you just don't like Duke players, Dante Jones, Kyrie Irving. Did you like? There might be some truth to that, but listen, I don't hate him. But listen, this is what I'm trying to tell you: can't quantify what LeBron means defensively to a team. That's offensively than Kyrie, an unquantifiable presence on defense. Like, who should be the MVP of that series? Shouldn't even ever, ever be a question. Kyrie should get as many votes as Kevin Love on his way out the door. Wow. <coughs> you just compared Kyrie. Yes. Okay. Uh, Jay Hart, I can't do this anymore. I really can't. I, I'm just saying LeBron led the entire series in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks over both teams. He couldn't have won without Kyrie. I admit that. However, no, Kyrie for MVP? No. But I'll tell you what that did do, what this what this championship series did for Kyrie, any chance you had of Kyrie actually being a point guard from now on is gone. Because <laughs> Kyrie's like, oh, wait, I don't want a championship frying people? Nope, it's a wrap. I ain't passing the ball no more. <laughs> so he, he definitely will not be in the league leaders in assists uh, next year. No. Without a doubt. <laughs> Hey, we're going to stay in Cleveland, kind of, sort of, because I want to segue into um, the the guy who actually broke Jim Brown's record, rushing record, as a member of the uh, Buffalo Bills, who ran for over 2,000 yards in one season. Um, but we don't want to talk about his football career. We want to talk about the ESPN documentary on O.J. Simpson. It's called Made in America. And it is an excellent five-part documentary and just wanted to kind of touch on that because I've seen a lot of people talking about this because there's a lot of components of the trial that a lot of people did not worry about, including the fact that the trial became about race um, very early on, especially when they bought in Johnny Cochran and Chris Darden um, to make the jury consider (coughs) race being that OJ was a black man, but the irony in all of that is that OJ has spent his entire career, both playing football and acting, um, trying to be race neutral himself. Then all of a sudden, once he's on trial, he starts to wear like Kunta Kinte cloths um, 
Not really, but <laughs> his lawyers actually wear ties that were like, you know, African-based ties. And, you know, they were just trying to play what the prosecutor thought was the race card. So just wanted to get y'all's reflections. I know everybody knows where they were when OJ was being chased um, down the 405 in the Bronco. But just kind of reflections on, you know, bringing up race in that context, especially since OJ was like, I don't even want to consider myself black. Like, I'm OJ. That's who I am. That's my identity. Well, John, before we touch on it, you have the legal background. What was it like studying the OJ case when you were preparing for law? Like, how did they approach it? Well, I um, we didn't really study the case. I mean, it would have been a, an interesting criminal law um, case study in terms of jury selection. Going through the jury selection process, I think the prosecutors um, overestimated the fact that they thought that women hearing the domestic violence portions of the testimony would be sympathetic to the victim in the case. But they did not consider that these were black women, because I think there were at least eight black women on the jury. And black women were more sympathetic towards OJ. In fact, one of the jurors in the actual documentary was like blaming Nicole, basically, for the DV issues. And I don't think Marsha Clark and her team had anticipated that. And I think the whole case turned on the fact that, hey, there's these black women on the jury who are sympathetic. So I think uh, one of the things that could have happened you know, in the law school context is just think through jury selection and, and why it's important to get the right people on the jury and I was appalled when one of the black jurors was interviewed and she said, and they asked her, they said, well, was this, uh, did you really think he was not guilty or was this revenge for, for Rodney King, which happened years before that? And she said, absolutely. Like we wanted to get back at the police for Rodney King and, and Mark Furman represented the police. So it wasn't, it didn't turn on OJ's guilt. It turned on the fact that, so many race issues have bubbled over in L.A. that O.J. was on trial at the quote unquote right time to get that verdict. The domestic violence piece of the story was saddening. And I don't I mean, I don't think I have a strong enough word to describe like the horror that Nicole lived in with O.J. <clears throat> that was a really sad part of the documentary. Jay Hart, what were your thoughts when you were like even processing the OJ case when it was, you know, hot news? Well, I just remember being mad that the white Bronco interrupted the NBA finals, but I'm going to let that go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, did y'all hear, uh, did you hear about what JVG said during the uh, broadcast about OJ wanting to watch the game? Yes. How crazy was that? That was hilarious. Can you uh, tell our listeners what he said, just in case they they didn't know? Like, just from the, the standpoint of he wanted, who was that, um, Al Cowens to drive mm -hmm. <laughs> to drive the Broncos slower so he could listen to the game on the radio. Isn't that he crazy? He wanted to know what was going on in the game. <laughs> that is, like, nuts to me. With a gun. When all his life goes too yes. far. Uh, you know, I think... I just think I, I kind of go back to what you said, John, like I think it was a smart play as far as jury selection. Um, and I think, you know, 
we know with legal cases, like it's about who can get the upper hand. And I, I do think the defense got ended up getting the upper hand with that. And I think playing the race card was, um, you know, one of the key components there, but it, it is kind of odd. Um, and during like this whole 30 for 30 thing, like if you could turn on ESPN radio, like they interviewed just about anybody that had anything to do with that or any of OJ's friends. And, um, one of his best friends had just made a statement about how he knew the day OJ wasn't black is when he went to his house for one of his parties and there were all these folks there. And, um, he was looking around. He was like, OJ, he was like, I don't feel comfortable because all these people around here, this is not us. And he's like, we're black. He said, they're not black. He's like, the only reason that we're here is because we're jocks and we have money now. And he said, OJ looked at him and was like, I'm not black. I'm OJ. Um, so just a total 180 turn. Um, you know, when you're fearing for your life and trying to get off for murder, like you oh, can throw the race now. card out there if you need to. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm the blackest oh, yeah, person yeah, on I, this planet. Right. <laughs> so uh, you know, it was a smart play though. Like it, it worked to their benefit, but it's John. What do you think about the shine on the gloves? Oh, that was the worst. Oh, did you? So in the documentary, interestingly enough, and I did not know this, and sorry for the spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. Um, the defense counsel. Uh, was talking about their strategy behind that. And they actually, OJ was on arthritis medicine and they actually told him to stop taking it so that his hands would swell up. Swell up. Just in case they asked him to to put on the gloves. OJ went into full actor mode once he put those gloves on, man. It was great. Like he was like showing the jury, like making sure they knew that it didn't fit. And then your boy Johnny Cochran coming up with the sixteen bars. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't fit, you must have quit. That's what everybody must remembers. But they, I mean, yeah. that was a strategy for them because they were like daring Darden to actually make him do it, and Darden fell for their trap, and that was one of the turning points in the case. I'm, you know, it's kind of sad, man. You know, it's sad for the families who are involved um, mm -hmm. because I feel everybody had this feeling that he did something. And there was this overwhelming evidence that looked like he may have done it and then turns around and gets a not guilty verdict. And then the Joker turns around and gets arrested again and gets sentenced in Las Vegas for kidnapping and, and stealing memorabilia that was his and they sentenced him to a term that was like 30 something years in prison. So it was like kind of a, you know, backdoor way of getting him back um, in jail. But, you know, it's just sad all the way around. But I just, I just felt like the documentary was really well done. I love 30 for 30s. They're doing one on Ric Flair coming up, one on, Doc, on Doc Gooden. And um, so it should be, should be good to see some of, the, some of the other ones. So if I just have one final thought on the OJ case, it, it's just kind of saddening to see, like, if you were trying to look for, like, how does this case in any way, like, how do you look at this through a gospel lens? And, and we've had this conversation before, but, like, if we're hitting Christ, like, what do we treasure most? You know what I'm saying? Like, can I say, can I rightly say 
that I'm going to cheer for an injustice because the recipient of the person who got off looks more like me. You know what I'm saying? Or mm -hmm. vice versa. You know what I'm saying? Like, is that how we should view race relations where, hey, I don't mind it being unjust as long as the injustice works out in the favor of my people, even though most of the time it doesn't feel like it's working out in the best interest of my people. Like, or do we say like injustice is injustice everywhere? There, there's so much pain wrapped in that, like so much past pain from African-Americans who have systematically been um, just victims of injustice and sometimes at the hand of the state, at the hand of the government. And I think what you saw in all that pain was the fact that they didn't care that someone died um, or two people died in the instance of OJ. They just felt like this was a way for blacks to receive some form of quote unquote justice by beating the system. And from a gospel perspective, I think that that's the wrong perspective to take, um, especially when you're talking about race over gospel, race over justice. Um, but also understanding the uh, the mercy component too, and, and extending mercy. I tell you one thing: I cannot be, I could not have been in my career a defense counsel because it just does does not sit well with me. Some of the tactics they use to get them off. Um, but just from a gospel lens, gospel perspective, never, 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 never um, should race be your primary drive for someone not to receive justice or the justice that they, they do need to receive. And it really does have to be a work of the spirit when you're born into a country that seems so divided by race. We want to go back to... Uh, to Cleveland in the NBA Finals, but we want to talk about our homie, our our Ace Boon Coon, our <laughs> our uh, native son, Dale Curry's youngster, Steph Curry, who is a very public figure now after winning MVP back to back and making over 400 or so threes this year. He kind of lost his cool last week in one of the finals games. And everybody knows he throw, he threw his mouthpiece, hit a fan, um, apologized to the fan, but he started throwing bombs. F-A-B. Anything else that he could throw at the referee and the cameras were on his lips the entire time. The Christian community blew up. Okay, because this is one of this is one of our guys. This is our dude. So he has this very public stumble to where you see his humanity um, and you see his failings or his failure to keep himself together. He gets ejected for the first time, I think, in his career. And you just have to think about, wow, what the, what? do we do when Christians fail publicly or how do we approach that um, when Christians fail publicly, especially considering our, our own hearts and how 
many of us fail privately, but we don't have the platform for people to see it. Just wanted to get you guys' reflection on that. You know, it's interesting because I I do feel like, and as soon as that happened, like I just kind of felt like, great, the world is going to jump on that and say, look at this Christian, this hypo- hypocritical cat. He's not humble. Look at the way he's cursing out the referee. He threw his you know, mouthpiece and hit a fan. I almost felt like the world was just waiting to jump on that um, and strike because – you know, if you think about it, like they really have made Steph and Aisha like the first family of basketball. It was almost like the pedestal was too high and they put them up there like, oh, look, he's such a great father. He's this. Aisha's doing this, you know. Um, and I just as soon as it happened and Chris was at my house and we both kind of looked at each other. And I think Chris said something like, um, you don't use those words at Bible study. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, it is what it is like. And I can't be one to judge him because, you know, I've done the same thing. We've all had similar slip ups where it's like, dang, just, you know, ours is not on national TV for all the world to see. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm I'm happy that I think he is a genuine person. I think he truly did, you know, repent for that. Um, it's just unfortunate that now it's it's kind of extra fodder for people to say, look, this Christian, he's not really a Christian. He's this, he's that. So, um, yeah. And I, and I Aisha's tweets didn't really um, yeah. help the cause very uh, much. Um, I, my, I wonder if he went home and was like, woman, know that place. But <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, you know, so, I, I think the the big thing with me with Steph Curry is at my church, like they're almost so blinded by him. Like, oh, he's a Christian. He's publicly outspoken and he's humble and he's this. Like, truth be told, like he's not really that humble. The way he does things on the court and sometimes his mannerisms, like he's not truly humble, but I think it almost becomes even Christians become blinded and saying this man is this. And we put him on a pedestal. And then when he falls, like a gentleman I spoke to at church was like, he hadn't realized that all that happened. He's like, was he really cursing? I was like, uh, yeah. Mm. He basically was like, Oh, well, uh, every once in a while we just need to be humbled. And like, he just turned around, walked off and like abruptly left the conversation. I was like, nah, like let's address it for what it is. Like, like done something you like let a curse word fly out and you're like oh dang right right not there for you know so for me i think that you know even when i think about myself like i talk a lot of trash on the basketball court and there are times when people get offended by me talking smack like after a block or just you know dn somebody up and there are times when i have to be like wait a second this other, the other day, this guy who um, knows someone who goes to my church, he's like, wait, aren't you a pastor? And I was like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> so, and he's like, hey, you talk a lot of smack to be a pastor. I'm like, we can talk smack, too. I, I love him in Jesus name. But um, <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, all right, well, let me kind of you know, make sure that he kind of sees, sees that out on the court too. Not that I'm like 
over the top with the trash talk and I don't curse out on the basketball court, but I do it all in good fun. And I think, you know, genuinely they think they see, you know, the Christ in me, but I just wanted to make sure that he knew right then. I was like, okay, just because I'm, you know, a man of the cloth or a pastor or whatever you want to call me in ministry, um, doesn't mean I can't have fun. Talk a little trash. Like that's, that's fun to me. And that's part of my personality. That's part of who I am on the court. Like if I was out there just like throwing Bible verses after I made a shot, (laughs) that would be a little bit lame. You know what I mean? So just, you know, trying to do, trying to do that. And just in terms of Steph, like he did that even in game seven, like when LeBron blocked his shot, like Steph got in his face. Like he was like, you're not going to do me like that. Cause what if he would have like, you know, shrunk back, you know, oh, that, that's the Christian thing to do. Right. But you know, it's a competitive basketball game. I think that, you know, like you said, I believe he did kind of step back and consider what he did in that game where he threw his mouthpiece and cursed. But outside of that, I just felt like, you know, as, as Christians, we need to be able to have fun. And sometimes that means I get to talk smack on the court. Um, so it is what it is. I think just two things like um, we're all in the sanctification process. We, none of us have arrived. We all have thought, like parts of us that just don't look very much like Jesus right now. That doesn't mean that Christ isn't working in us necessarily. And the other thing, um, brother-in-law, my brother-in-law sent me a thing and it said how Christians reacted when they seen Steph Curry cursing out the refs. It was funny. But I also was like, hey, <clears throat> the reality is, um, just like that Lecrae lyric, you know, none of us met the standard, so God sent himself as a stand-in. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's, I mean, so even we take those moments and point people to the gospel, and hopefully more in our life we're a reflection of the gospel where people can emulate that more than saying, hey, this is where I don't look like the gospel, but here's where Jesus, here's what Jesus did because I don't. So mm-hmm. that's my thoughts. So That's great. I think people look at Christians like, oh, you got to be perfect and you got to be this. And I think so many times people try to cover it up and try to put on this false front like, oh, yeah, well, I am. I'm walking in the grace of Jesus. I'm this. I'm that. You know, but the truth be told, like we all struggling with certain things. Like we all have moments where like we get angry. We lose our cool. Um, you know, we say things we shouldn't. And I think people you know, just need to be more real. Like, yeah, we still struggle. Like. We're not there, like Chris said. Like we're not there yet. So, um, you know, I think we need to make sure we address that and and set folks understand that hey, we we still people, we still struggling too. So, yeah, it happens every week when I invite people to my block party. Oh, wow. <laughs> all right. So, um, we're gonna talk about another Cleveland Cavs player, but it's a blast from the past. We have this segment on our show called Sorry We Missed That, which are past internet stories that were pre-podcast and pre-2010, most of them, um, dealing with Christ sports and culture. And we're, we're going to talk about another guy who wanted a triple-double, like LeBron, but didn't quite get it the way he should have. And that's your boy, your homie. Your favorite player from 2003, C-Lass, Mr. Ricky. <laughs> I got the Kawhi Leonard Braids Davis. 
<laughs> in a game against the Utah Jazz, he saw that he was one rebound away from a triple-double. So what does he do? He goes, throws the ball off the glass, on his offensive, on his defensive end, grabs it for the rebound at the end of the game to secure a quote-unquote triple-double. Needless to say, he heard from the league. They took it back down to nine rebounds, and now Ricky Davis is known as the guy who almost got a triple-double. Is that just flat-out selfish? Did that just define <laughs> Ricky Davis's career, like his entire career? For a while, it defined the Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers franchise. For a while, I think it, it, it really defined what people thought about the NBA. You know, just a bunch of selfish people out for a paycheck. But that was just like I could never play with him again. I, I would find it hard to ever play with him again, <laughs> to suit up with him ever again, knowing he went solo for the triple double. <laughs> like, like, how could you beat the real Brandon and suit up with him again? Dude, how do you know <laughs> you have nine rebounds at that point? Like, how do you know that you're that close to a triple double? Like so you, you after the game, you check the stats. Like you, you see them in press conferences, looking at the stat sheets. But this dude knew that he had nine rebounds, and that he needed somebody one. else was complicit. He had an accomplice. Nah, you he know what? Nah, Ricky Davis looked. Ricky Davis looked like that dude that would keep track of his stats in his head as the course of the game went on. Like, yep, I got another assist. I'm about that to guy. hit this triple double. <laughs> I think most people have a general idea how many points they got, but how do you know all the stats you need for a triple-double? Like, seriously, you can, you tracking rebounds and assists? Right. How did he know he had 11 assists at that point? He was no, – I'll, I'll be honest with you. In 2003, Ricky Davis was a fantasy beast in fantasy basketball. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's nobody else on this team. So he was putting up stats. Like, he was a second, third Is round Is that a nice pick. way of saying selfish? Yeah, basically. When you're good at fantasy basketball. Nice way of saying selfish. (laughs) Right. If your name isn't Anthony Davis. So, yeah, man. Is that the most famous almost triple-double in NBA history? It has to be. It really has to be. It was on the not top 10 all-time list. If there was a sports center not top 10, it might be number one all-time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Ricky Davis yeah. is that dude. When they drafted LeBron, he thought LeBron was actually going to play second fiddle to him. So he was he, right. had, he had delusions of grandeur. Yeah. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Big time. All right. So we're going to move into our what you're reading and what you're listening to segment where we share with you guys resources that we're reading or listening to. Uh, this week that we feel might be helpful for you. And I'll begin and let you know that I read something today that that really, really um, blessed me because it captures everything that I think when I see stuff like this. And it's from Tim Chalice. And the name of the blog is I forbid you to say these things at my funeral. <laughs> I was like, I saw that. I haven't read it, but I saw it. So great. So one of the things he was talking about is like this person is looking down on you. Like, you know how people talk about, well, I know that they're mm-hmm. looking down on me. No, they're looking in the face of Jesus. They don't want to look down on all this pain. Like what Shalice was saying was like, hey, Jesus is looking down on you. You'll be okay. 
Your loved one is looking and is in the presence of Christ right now. Um, the other thing, one of the other things that he said, I'll let you go and check out the rest of them, but he said that um, he's with the angels now or God needed another angel. Like people say that. No, we're made in the image of God. We're not angels. God didn't need another angel. He has countless angels. He, we are human beings. Stop putting wings on people. <laughs> <laughs> this is Just not a song. <laughs> so I, I it's it's a really great read because I think a lot of people use that to cope. Um as opposed to knowing that you know our hope is in Christ and that the people who are who who have gone on to be with the Lord um to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As much as we want them here looking down on us, it's far better. Paul talks about that in Philippians. Like to be with Christ is far better. Um, so, so let's just call it what it is. Allow us to mourn, but I don't want my loved ones looking down on me. I don't want them to see this pain. I don't want them to be angels. I want them to be human beings created in the, in the image of God, worshiping before our creator. creator. Um, and I, I just felt like it was a great article. So we'll, we'll include that in the show notes. Uh, what I'm listening to is a young artist named Travis Green, um, who died as a child, came back to life. And he wrote a song called Made Away. And it's a, it's a really great song. Um, basically his testimony as to, to how God brought him, um, back from that situation. So, I mean, basically coded. And doctors pronounced him dead. He didn't wow. have any of those having this for real visions or anything. He just was grateful for God's grace. So wow. good song I'm listening to. On my end, I'm going to be honest, like with everything that's going on in camp and getting up early, like my reading time has diminished. And when I do try to read, I fall slam asleep. So um, I haven't read too much uh, probably in the last week. However, what I'm listening to is I had to go back after we talked about show Baraka joining Humble Beast. I said, you know what? Let me go back and listen to these show albums again. Um, so I'm actually listening to Lions and Liars again. Um, I was like, hold on. I need to go back and, and truly appreciate what show brought to the table now that he's with Humble. So that's what I'm checking out now. I'm listening to mm. Mm. good stuff. What am I reading? What am I listening to? I'm at the part in Tony Evans' book, um, Oneness Embraced, where he's just talking about the history of blacks in the Bible. It's been really neat in the um, history of blacks in church history. It's been an incredible read and like how to look at that through a gospel lens. Uh, it, it's just been incredible. The whole book has been great. My kids and wife have been out of town. They went to the beach ahead of me. I was hoping I'd have more time to read, but there's still responsibilities uh, for me in life. And I haven't had as much time to read, but anytime I've had downtime, I've kind of been in that book. Um, what have I been listening to? Um, a lot of um, old Lecrae and Flame collabo songs. Those always tend uh, to get me hyped. So I've been on some old songs like that. Um, I got kids, they love V-Rose, so it's been a little bit of V-Rose's new album, the song with Flame, the song with Tripoli. Um, I love you so much song with V-Rose, Tripoli. I like that song a lot. So that's kind of what's been in rotation and still on some Ravi Zacharias apologetic sermons. 
when I'm driving around. So that's kind of what I've been listening to. All right. That's been the Cleveland edition of the Boxing One podcast, episode nine, where we discuss Christ, sports, and culture through the lens of the gospel. I want to encourage you all to go and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, leave ratings, leave comments, follow us on Twitter, Boxing One Podcast. And as always, have a great week. We look forward to seeing you all next week. Peace out.